First Peter chapter 1, let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we have. We thank you, Lord, so much for your word. And Lord, it is through your word that we have clarity. Um, it just uh, puts things in focus for us and it illuminates our path. And so, Father, we just pray that you would speak through your word, comfort, exhort, encourage, and just continue to be with us, Lord, as we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at the introduction to Peter. My wife thought um, reading about a lot about Peter was, uh, she didn't kind of know where I was placing that. Um, the reason I talked a lot about Peter and who he was and what he had been through is to show you that Peter was a man. Peter was a person just like us. You know, we read about these people in the Bible and sometimes we elevate them or sometimes we shoot them down. But the bottom line is God uses ordinary people. And these ordinary people, when they're looking to God, can do extraordinary things. And so Peter is just this awesome leader of a person that oftentimes, as you study the life of Peter, he would say a lot of the things that maybe other people were thinking, but he was bold to speak. As I mentioned last week, the only disciple, apostle, that rebuked Jesus, and yet the only disciple, apostle, that was rebuked by Jesus. In fact, he was called Satan by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus told him when he tried to forbid him from going to the cross. And so that's the reason why I shared that. I, I just think it's neat that Peter, um, as a human being, as a person, an individual with, with strengths and weaknesses, um, he can be an example for us in the good things and in the bad things. We need to be careful that we don't ever think we know more than God or we can be his counselor. Uh, but we also need to know that when we're surrendered and submitted to God, he can use us. Peter gave a sermon in the book of Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 people were added to the church. Imagine that. Imagine sharing the gospel and watching 3,000 human beings give their lives to Jesus. That's pretty awesome. And Peter did that. So I think it's neat. That's kind of why I did that. So that's why I shared that. We looked at verses 1 through 5. We'll read through 1 through 5 just uh, by way of introduction. And then we'll start commenting on verse 6. Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So verse 6, where we'll start, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. What are trials? Um, in your life. Okay, so a difficulty in your life can be a trying time. What else? Trials. Challenging. A challenge, right? A challenge to move in one direction or another. 
Anybody else? A trial. A trial or a temptation. So what's the difference between a trial and a test? Depends on the perspective. So a trial is a testing of your faith, as we're going to see. But from the enemy's perspective, one is meant you to one is meant to cause you to sin or stumble. The other is meant to strengthen your faith and to purify your faith. The trial is the one you're Well, uh, if you call it a trial or you can call it a test, but I, I think that, that that would differentiate the two. The trial would be the, the hardship. Because a trial, you think of a trial, like if you go to trial, if you go to court and you're in a trial, they're trying to see if you're guilty or innocent, right? So a trial, a trial is a test. It's, it's to see how you prove and how you're proven. And we're going to see that in this chapter. We're going to see what God's perspective for a trial is and what the enemy's perspective for a trial is. The enemy wants you to fall. The enemy wants you to sin. The enemy wants you to lean on the arm of flesh or lean on the arm of your own understanding. Um, you know, be wise in your own estimation. Hey, I, I've, you know, I'm this age. I've been through life. I know some stuff. Ah, be careful. Be, be careful. Because God knows more. And God might have you to act one way in one situation. You might be confronted with that very same situation another day. And God might have you act an entirely different way. Remember David, if we, when we studied 1 Samuel and we watched David, and he said, Lord, should I go up and attack this nation? And God says, yes, go up. I've delivered them into your hand. And then he, he gets, he battle, they win. Woohoo! Israel's victorious. Then that same nation comes against him and he says, Lord, should we go up and attack them? as we did before. And God says, no, go around the backside this time and you're going to get the victory. And then you guys will be hanging out in the trees. And when you hear the trees clapping, that's when you're going to attack. What? Same exact situation, same people. Oh, I've been here. I know how to win this. Oh, let's look to the Lord because the Lord wants to give us guidance. He wants to give us direction. The enemy wants us to, to stumble us. And remember, the enemy doesn't care if you backslide into sin or if you front slide into pride, because both of them are sin. Backsliding is you give in to sin. Front sliding is you think you're holier than you really are. You think you're stronger than you really are. You think, I don't need God. Like, like has God really said? Well, oh, maybe I don't need God in his word. That's front sliding. You become a Pharisee, right? Who did Jesus have his most difficult time with on earth? The religious leaders. Because they thought they had it all figured out. Because they were looking at their self-righteousness as approval with God. And their self-righteousness is filthy rags, according to Isaiah, right? So we got to be careful what we're trusting in. We have to be careful uh, what we're looking at. So verse 6, notice six or five different things about a trial. It says, first, that we can greatly rejoice even as we're going through difficulties. Were you aware of that? You can greatly rejoice. You don't rejoice about the trial. That would be like you're, like if somebody saw you rejoicing about the difficulty you're going through, they would probably think, whoa, cuckoo, cuckoo, right? Like, I don't know, let's pick something. You, you, you have a, a cat that you just love and your cat dies one day because, you know, it's old and cats do that, right? We all, you know, do And you're like, yeah, whoo, my cat just died. That'd be like, whoa. 
aren't you mourning the loss? I, you didn't like that cat very much. No, it was the best thing on the earth. I love that cat. No, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. You can say, man, I'm rejoicing because I know the Lord's going to comfort me. I know the Lord's going to visit with me. I know the Lord's going to teach me something through this. So you're rejoicing in that. You're not rejoicing over the fact that you have a loss. That hurts. And so we can greatly, it says right here, uh, that we can greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Did you know that trials are, 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 are seasons? They're for a little while, okay? And some go much longer than others, but, but I think we got to recognize that trials can be for a little while. Then the next thing says, if need be, if need be, not everybody has to go through a trial. Not everybody has to go through the same types of trials. Uh, some people are just obedient and understand what God is calling them to. And so, you know, there's consequences to our behavior. And if there are certain behaviors in your life that aren't even an issue, why would, why would there need to be? Would it be a test? It wouldn't be a test. Would you need to go through that trial from God's perspective? No, because you have that lesson. You understand that thing. And so as we grow and as we mature and as we learn the character of God, we should be maturing in spiritual things. We should be getting wiser in our behavior, in the things we say, in even our attitudes and dispositions. So he says, if need be. So you don't have to, but you, we, we will. And then he says, you have been grieved. So we can also grieve in the midst of a trial. What's grief? It's mourning. It's, it's, it's going through a difficulty, right? Letting the emotions of sadness and, and all of that series, series of emotions that we go through when we're grieved, right? And that's okay. God doesn't want you to be in denial. Man, Lord, this hurts. Man, Lord, this sucks. This isn't good. I don't like this. Man, I wish, man, I don't know what I wish, Lord, but I just want to let you know that, that I'm having a difficult time right now. And I want to talk to you about it. I want to come to you with this. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to, to hurt. And then the last thing he says, various trials. Trials vary. Again, there's, you don't have to go through the same trial that somebody else is going through. But you're going to go through various, bless you, trials. You're going to have different kinds of trials, tests, okay? The test, by the way, and we're going to see this, but the test, by the way, is not a test for God to have information. When you're tested, it's for you to see the genuineness of your faith. Oh, no, I love God, man. You don't even know. My faith is big. Be careful, because a lot of people have faith in faith. You don't even know how big my faith is. Uh, God will allow the rug to be pulled from under you to show you your faith is not in faith. Your faith is in God. Your faith is in trusting God and taking him at his word. Um, the test is for us. And what the test, the trial should develop within us is a dependence upon God and a recognition that we are weak. And it's just a matter of time. If you don't know that you're weak, it's a matter of time that you will learn that you're weak. We're studying Daniel chapter 4 this Sunday. Um, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand that he's a weak man. But he'll know after Daniel chapter 4. You'll see it as we study it. But he's going to know definitively. And he's praising the God of Israel after, at the end of Daniel chapter 4. 
Why? Seven years, he's going to go mad on his front lawn, and he's going to be eating grass like an ox. His nails are going to grow so long, they say they look like feathers, and his hair, or his nails look like claws, and his hair looks like feathers, because he just goes mad. He loses touch with reality for seven years before he comes back to his senses. And he knows at the end of that, wow, I'm weak. I thought I was strong. So all of us must know that we are weak. And again, the various trials and all of these different things that they do, they teach us. And the purpose of that is so that we can depend upon God. We can run to God. We can look to God. We can find our strength in God. We can find our hope in God. Okay? Verse 7, that the genuineness, what's the purpose of trials? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith is tested, and our faith is more precious than gold tested by fire. So I mentioned this verse uh, last Sunday, and I mentioned how gold is tested or brought to purity. How is it? It's burned in the fire. How do we know it's pure? How do we know the dross is gone? The smelter, the guy who's burning it, right, or melting it, can see his reflection. If, it, if it's still cloudy, if it's still fuzzy, ah, there's still dross. There's still impurities in the gold. There's still metals, maybe other little iron, uh, you know, slipped in there or something. I don't know, right? But those impurities are still in there. So you keep, what do you do? You keep burning it, and you keep burning it, and you keep burning it. And then once that clear, pure reflection is there, it's pure gold. And that's what God is doing in our lives. And it's not sadistic. God is not just allowing pain in our life for nothing to no avail. He wants us to know um, the strength and the weakness of our faith in Him, but He also wants our faith to be pure. He wants a pure faith. God doesn't want to play games. He's not, he's not joking around. It's not a game to Him. Because He knows that in heaven the reward is going to be worth it. And he knows what he has in store for you. And so he's imagining, I can't wait. I can't wait to, oh, watch when they see this. What I have in store for them. Oh, okay, but, but I want him to have more. I want him to have more. And so in that, that's the purification of our faith. That's the testing of our faith. It's not a joke. It's not a game. But only on the other side of, of eternity are we going to be able to say, Lord, for, for me, enter into the joy of your Lord. Wow, Lord, you've been, man, you've been working on this a long time, huh? Yeah, 2,000 years. Yeah, I created the world in six days, but yeah, this right here, 2,000 years. It's all for you. Imagine. And so it's not a game. It's, it's not to no avail. It's why you were created. It's why he allowed us to be created. And so he, he has something awesome and wonderful in store for us. As we go on in verse 8, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, you believe, yet believe, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when uh, Jesus was resurrected and he met with his disciples, uh, one disciple wasn't there. It was uh, Tim... What's his name? Thomas. 
Thomas. So Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas, uh, you know, everyone's kind of, I don't know, you know, men, they're probably like, oh, you didn't even see him, dude, he was here, bro, oh, you missed it, bro, I told you not to go, I told you, you shouldn't have gone, you went to the show, dude, you should have gone, you know, or whatever he went to go do. And he's like, man, I'm not going to believe it, I won't believe it unless, you know, I put my hands in his side and I feel the, feel the mark, so I'm not going to believe it. So Jesus appears, and in John 20, 28, uh, Thomas, he sees him, and he says, here, Thomas, touch my hands, see, see. And he's like, oh, Lord. He, and he bows down and worships Jesus. He says, my Lord, my God. And right after that, Jesus says, uh, Thomas, blessed are you because you see. But blessed are those who don't see and still believe. And that's exactly what Peter's saying here. The Lord is coming back. They were waiting for his return. They were going. Remember, Peter's writing to people who are under persecution. Peter's writing to genuine people who are struggling in life. They're going through a very, very difficult time. And he's letting him know, you know, Jesus is coming back, right? Jesus is coming back. Yeah, yeah, you don't see him right now, but he's coming back. And that's your hope. Hold on to that. Hang on to that. You guys, some of you, you were eyewitnesses. You saw him. You saw him ascend, right? Where's Jesus ascend? In um, Acts chapter 1 is the ascension, right? And they saw him go up. And the angel's like, hey, hey, you guys, why are you guys looking up? He's coming back just like he went up. You're going to see him. And so that's their hope. That's what they're expecting. And he's telling them here, you don't see him. So we are those who don't see him. But yet, again, right here in whom having not seen, verse 8, yet you love, though now you do not see him. Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. The only place that that word is used in the entire Bible, joy inexpressible. The inability to put into, the, into words the joy that God can give us. I want you to think about the thief on the cross. He had everything that he needed to be fulfilled in life. Because anytime you think you need something or you don't have something, or if you get this one thing, I want you to think about the thief on the cross. Remember, there were two, and they both start mocking Jesus, right? And then one of them has a change of heart. And I think it's after Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Speaking of the people who put him on the cross, the Roman centurion, the Roman soldiers that beat Jesus and put him on the cross. So I think that that thief on the cross sees Jesus say that, and he's like, this is the Lord. This guy's different. And so he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. So anytime you think, I got to have that thing. I, if, if, if I don't have that thing, my life is not... Just think of the thief on the cross. Could he have that thing that you think you need? Can he have that, that situation, that thing you're praying about or you want to come true? Not saying you can't pray about that and not saying that God can't give it to you. But we should be able to identify with the thief on the cross because he had everything that he needed to have joy inexpressible. Why? Because he was going to be he knew he deserved to be on that cross. We deserve to be on that cross. Even if we've committed one sin, and I think, let me see. Yeah, I think everybody here has probably committed at least one sin, right? Joy inexpressible. Joy so profound that we can't put into words. The human language fails. Vocabulary, it, words do not exist to express the joy that God wants to give us. We can experience that. Okay? Joy inexpressible. 
He says right here, the only time that inexpressible word is used in the Bible and full of glory, he says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. What's the end game of faith? Why has God given you faith? Why does God honor your faith? Why do you have faith to be able to believe in the grace that God has given you for salvation? Salvation. So that you can be saved. That's why you have faith. Everybody has faith. What they put it in is a different story. But the Bible declares in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has given to every man a measure of faith. So we're supposed to take that faith and put it in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross because of the resurrection. As you read chapter 1, you see over and over, resurrection is the proof. Resurrection is the proof. Resurrection is the proof. It's the proof that God is who he said he was. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, notice all these witnesses that are looking at our salvation. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come that would come to you. So first, he mentions the prophets. The prophets are the Old Testament writers, the individuals that gave us the Old Testament. They prophesied about this Messiah. Did they know the grace that we know? No, but they wrote about it. And there was this weird thing going on in the Old Testament. The Messiah would be the deliverer, the one to set the people free, the one to bring this incredible grace. But then they had these other scriptures. The Messiah would suffer. The Messiah would be beat. The Messiah would be rejected by God, right? And they couldn't put the two and two together. They didn't. Is the Messiah schizophrenic? What's going on? How is he at one point victorious and how is at another point defeated? Ah, they couldn't get it, right? They're looking at us and saying, recipients of that grace. And they looked forward to us thinking, man, they're going to get it. Wow. So we, we are the ones that get to get it. So the first group he mentions of looking on of this salvation, the prophets have inquired. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he tested before testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so that's the Holy Spirit as a witness within us. Verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. So now he's talking about the apostles were witnesses of us as recipients of grace. And then the last one in that same verse 12 of the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Think about that. Do angels know what grace is? Only experientially, only by watching us. God, why do you love them so much? God, why do you put up? Oh my gosh, gosh. What do you, you're going to wipe that one out, right, God? That one just keeps doing that. Like, they're not supposed to. Lord, Lord, they know. They know they're not supposed to keep doing that. Why do you like, Lord, what's going on? You're going you're gonna to send a lightning bolt right now down, right? They look and they are like, Look at these recipients of God's grace. Boy, man, that ain't nothing. I taught um, in high school when I taught the five years that I taught at Calvary Chapel Downey. Um, I'm amazed at what God did to prepare me to learn 
what he wanted me to learn. I'm just amazed because I had this incredible college-level professor write these phenomenal lectures. And so I come into the school. I'm checking my daughters into school. My daughters were going crazy sin in high school. We had, they had gone from junior high, and they went to this, the, like the number one school in Los Angeles called Los Angeles Center for Enriched Study, LACES. And they were like, they had the highest rate of college graduates from that school. And so I was like, wow, that's awesome. But there were some sinners at that school. And my daughters latched on to that sin. And they were just getting into stuff. So I told Roxanne, I'm like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we got to put these girls in private school. They got to go to a uh, Christian school because either I'm going to kill them or they're going to die. I don't know. One of the two. So that's not good. We, we can't have dead daughters. So we put both Justine and Jocelyn, our firstborns, uh, in Calvary Chapel Downey. So I'm there. I'm enrolling them, filling out the paper. Don't know how we're going to afford it. I'm a bus driver at LA Unified. I don't know how we're going to afford this. But you know what? God's leading us. He's going to make a way. So I'm filling out the paperwork, and they're like, hey, Johnny, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. Hey, can you come over here? We need to have a meeting. We have a meeting, and they, they're like, we just had a teacher quit, like literally froze teaching English and walked out of the classroom and said, check, please. I'm done and bounced. And man, we're looking for a teacher. Have you ever taught? And I'm like, well, you guys know I'm a pastor here, but I ain't never taught. So, I mean, I could teach. They're like, all right, all right. How about if we get this guy who taught English and we give him the English class and we give you the Bible classes? And I'm like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go home and pray about it. And he goes, and by the way, if you teach here, all your daughters, four daughters, all your daughters get to go to school free here. And I was like, woo, free. That's a lot of money. That's a $10,000 a month bill right there. I'm like, dang, I never made that much money. So, man, that might be neat. So I got to teach all of these Bible classes and I got this college professor who taught in college, but he had, he had made all these lectures. And so all I would do is I'd take this transparency and put it on the transparency thing. And the kids were right there. And I'd be like, okay, are we ready? Okay, here we go. Um, let's see. And I would just learn. I'm like, I don't know if they're learning anything. But as I'm doing it, I'm just taking it all of this information, all of the church history, um, IBS, inductive Bible study, apologetics, ethics, um, UTT, understanding the times, just all of these Bible classes and just all this information. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so, so good. Are you guys excited about this or what, man? This is so good. And as I'm just learning, as I'm teaching, and they're like, yeah, it's not that interesting, but okay. We're excited because you're excited. I guess maybe we'll start paying attention. And just I developed just all these awesome relationships with all these kids for, again, five years that I got to do that. And it was just neat, neat, neat time that uh, the Lord had given me. In that, let's see, there was this verse right here. He said, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The things that God has prepared for his people 
are just things that like God knew what I needed. God knows what you need. And he is just doing these nice, neat, little dynamic things that they're just personal for you. They're, they're just tailor-made for you. Because your God is a personal God. And he desires to just blow you away. And, and the enemy wants us to be independent of God. He wants us to kind of, well, yeah, it's religion and religious things. Yeah, I get my little religious fix and Bible study every once in a while. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with any of that. That we get to come to a Bible study is awesome. But you have a personal relationship with God and he knows what you desire. He knows what you want. He knows the nuances of little. And he just delights, delights to just, that's my daughter right here. Watch what I give her right here. That's my son. Watch, watch what I do right here. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulty. He's just a personal God that knows you uniquely. Let him. Let him. Don't resist that. Don't hold that at arm's length. Don't, don't wonder. What do you want? You're walking by faith. If he died for you and rose again to prove that he is who he said he was, how much more is he now going to love you in the process? And, you know, we get bamboozled every once in a while. We go after this, oh, this will do it, and this thing will do it. And we're like, what are we doing? We have God. We have God. So just encourage you in that. Angels are looking into this. Prophets were looking into this. The Holy Spirit is inside of us testifying of this. And then the other group that he mentioned were the Old Testament prophets. I said that. The apostles. The apostles who wrote about it. They're like, man, grace. Grace is an incredible thing. And I am absolutely convinced the average Christian, including me, we do not understand the depth of grace. We, we just don't. We just don't. Because when you think grace means you can live any way you want and you can sin and God will forgive you. Huh, really? I don't think that's what grace is. You'd be forgiven, but you've missed it. You've missed it there. And then the person that thinks that they have to perform for God, uh, yeah, you missed it too. There's no performance that, that you're, you're going to do that's going to, he's just pleased with you. He just loves you. And that's hard for us to understand. I have a guy at work that I talk to a lot. And he's a neat brother. He's one of the administrators. And he was, I say, unfortunately raised as a Christian. And I say unfortunately because people like me who were rank sinners and then you come to God and you know that you were going to hell and then your eyes are open, it's like, Oh, like salvation, man, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Dude, I was lost. You don't even know. You don't even know. I can't tell you because I'm embarrassed to tell you, but just trust me when I say I was lost. I was lost. I was lost. I was dead. And he like, he was telling me the other day, he's like, God just loves me. God just loves me. And I'm like, yeah, right? Like, he's like, yeah, but you don't understand. I don't have to perform. And I'm like, well, well yeah, you, of course you don't have to perform. God, he's like, no, I'm barely learning this. 
I'm like, bro, you're like, man, you've been on this earth for a while. How long? You, you said you gave your life to Jesus at like fourth grade. You barely. He's like, yeah, you don't understand. See, I grew up in the church, and I, it was always performance-based. It was always, you have to be a good boy. And then you, if you sin, then God's mad at you. And I don't know, I just, I just carry that through my adulthood. And I just thought God was always not pleased with me, and I disappointed him again, and boy, I blew it again. And he goes, you don't understand. God just loves me. God delights in me. God, like he's smiling. God likes me. And I'm like, well, you. Well, yeah, yeah, all that's, right, all that, yeah, all that's true. How do you not know this, bro? He's like, again, you don't understand. And I go, I really don't understand. I said, bro, I've known this for 30-something years, that God just loves me. He's like, man, you must have had an awesome Christian life. I go, it ain't done, bro. It ain't even close to done. Yeah, but that's what I've experienced for all these years, that God just loves me. So hopefully we can take a glimpse of what these angels, apostles, prophets of old, Holy Spirit testifying within, are like looking in amazement at recipients of grace, and it's just blowing them away. Questions, comments, concerns? We'll stop there. Uh, I'm not sure how we'll do this. I just kind of read the chapter, and then the things that God puts on my heart, I share. I'm going to try not to do too many notes with... Uh, Roxanne says she hates my notes. So my wife's always right, so I gotta, I gotta listen to her. I, I listen to God first, but my wife's so good. If I find little nuggets, then I'll maybe write them down. I just I don't have that good of a memory. That's why I kind of, or at least I feel I don't. Ron gets mad when I say that, but I know I'm sorry, bro. But because um, I just when somebody says something so eloquently, I like to like I don't want to mess it up. Like oh Spurgeon said this, it was so cool, you know, or something, you know. The faith of our test needs to be um, needs to happen so that we can know the genuineness of our faith. Because there's people who have a pseudo faith. Pseudo is false. And so I think the trials that God allows to come our way are tests to reveal what I'm trusting in. Am I trusting in God or anything else? And I think we need to know that because even as Christians we struggle with leaning on trusting something else oftentimes. We can do that, right? And so with that, we begin to learn through, I think, that process of sanctification that God can be trusted. And, and all of us need it because all of us have weaknesses. There's nobody here who doesn't have weaknesses. And even if you're stronger than the average Christian, you will, rev- what is it, uh, revert? You will go back to weaknesses that you, like, oh, I thought I, thought I mastered that. Yeah. I thought, like, I had that one nailed. How did that come out again? I had victory in this area. You let your guard down. Remember, I always say, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. You're strong in an area, you better thank God that you're strong in that area. You better look to God in that area. So an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Ah, I got this. I, got, I, can, I can go to this place and not stumble. Oh, you better be careful. If you go to that place, you better say, God, I'm going to this place. Be with me. 
Because you know I've stumbled before. I don't think that works. I think you would just be like, okay, It depends on the place. <laughs> it depends on the place. Like, like, if you have family members that you're, it's difficult to be around, and every time you get around them, it turns into something not bueno. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, sometimes God is requiring us to be around family members that, hmm, we, we get right at whether it's gossip or whether it's, yeah. it's arguing or whether it's fricking and fracking and you're shooting these, you know, stuff across the table. Um, you know, God knows, Lord, I got to go into this situation because I want to be a light to them. But Lord, help me keep my mouth shut or help me to be a light or help me to whatever it is that you are stumbling with and weak in. Yeah. And maybe you don't need to go for a little while and get built up. Okay. So it just depends. But, but God is intent throughout the, the moment. So God does allow our faith to be tested so that it can reveal what we're trusting in. And then he wants to purify our faith and have it to be a pure faith so that he can see his reflection in our life. I look at the life of the disciples and I see God allowed them to be put in different situations so that they can see a different side of Jesus because had they not gone through the storm and the boat's about to sink and then Jesus comes walking or the one he rebukes, he, he rebuked a storm where he was sleeping. He was on the boat and he, he was sleeping on the pillow and he tells them, oh, you have little faith. And then he says, storm, be still, be muzzled. It was a demonic storm. And then they say, who is this who even calms the storm? They would not have known that Jesus could calm the storm unless what? They went through the storm. And they had to be fearful enough to be able to like cry out to Jesus. And so Jesus wants to show, God wants to show different aspects of himself to us um, because God's, God's awesome. And he wants to give us a full display of his wonder so that we can, he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. And he's the only one worthy. So, oh, I forgot. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that we are these recipients of this awesome thing called grace. And Lord, the trials, the difficulties, the temptations that the enemy brings our way are the very tests that are allowed to come our way to test our faith. To uh, You want to see us pass. And when we fail... We learn that you are still there for us, Lord. You're still loving us. You're still gracious. And at some point, Lord, we find that our strength is in you. Maybe there's so many things that we can't do in our own strength, but there's so much that you want to do. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust, that we would lean on you, not lean on our own understanding. And so, Father, help us. Help us uh, as you grow our faith, just I, I imagine these wonderful, incredible awards, rewards that you want to give us in heaven just to bless us. What an awesome God you are, Lord. And so thank you. Thank you for your ways. And thank you for who you are, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.